Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We can't legislate away. Uh, in every shape or form, bad behaviour. But I think we need to set some standards and people are measured against those. Right now, there is no yardstick by which people are held to account. Uh, Hello, lovely people of podcasts and welcome to another episode of Australian Politics Live. You are with Catherine Murphy, host of the show and political editor of Guardian Australia. And with me in the studio is the lovely Helen Haynes, uh, who is the member for Indi and uh, one of the independent crossbenchers in the lower house. Now, it just seemed to me the week, as it was, Helen, uh, that there were a number of issues that I know you are very, very passionate about, that it would be good to ventilate some of these in a conversation on the podcast. Now, I want to start in our conversation. You've been very busy on a number of fronts since you entered the parliament, but one of the things you've been most passionate about and focused on is the issue of our lack of a federal anti-corruption watchdog. Now, perhaps all the listeners may not be across this. Perhaps they may not have caught up with what you've been doing. So why don't we start there? How have you been trying to advance this issue? Great. Thanks, Catherine. Great to talk to you again. Yeah, I think the first thing to say is what I've been trying to advance is a pro-integrity culture uh, in the Federal Parliament of Australia. And, and what many people may know or not know is that in every state and territory jurisdiction across the land, uh, there is an integrity commission or indeed an anti-corruption commission, depending mm-hmm. how they frame it. Uh, and the only place where we don't have one is in the Federal Parliament. That's alarming to me. And I think uh, it's alarming to many Australians and so much so that our current government promised at the last election that they would introduce such a body because there was a universal call for one. And, uh, well, I think we can all agree that if you think uh, there's no corruption happening at a, a federal level... Uh, when it may be happening at a state level, then then you've got your blinkers on. We, we definitely need such a body. So, yes, uh, came to Parliament after the election last May, uh, fully anticipating that I would soon be reading legislation from the government to introduce such a body. Um, mm. Well, given that they said it was sort of, you know, coming. 
That's right. Uh, two years, two years coming. And um, prior to the last election, indeed, uh, frameworks being put together um, by the Attorney General and that framework went out to, to discussion mm-hmm. uh, and then it's sat in the never-never somewhere and no legislation forthcoming. So um, one of the early people that I met when I came to Parliament uh, was indeed the Attorney General mm-hmm. to ask that question directly, how soon will I see the legislation? And subsequently I've, I've been waiting and waiting, as have many others. And then in February... I consulted with my community to mm-hmm. say, uh, look, we're still waiting on the Integrity Commission. I've been busy putting together a set of principles by which I would judge any such piece of legislation, just so you know. Yeah. Um, and they're five principles and um, they're rock solid according to what uh, expert academics and judges are saying should be in an Integrity Commission. Think, things like uh, broad jurisdiction, things like fair hearings, appropriate powers, accountability to people, mm. common rules for all. And uh, when the bill comes, that's what I'll be judging it on. People were very, very happy that mm-hmm. I'd done that piece of work. Uh, and still I waited and it became very clear to me that uh, no no bill was coming. So I got to work and a lot of work actually and put forward my own bill. Oh, just, on, yeah. just step back what, a, a fraction for mm. me. Did that issue, I mean, you're, you're obviously a highly intelligent person who's been engaged with politics uh, before you arrived here in, in your representative role, but uh, was that a real uh, priority for your community uh, when you arrived here, that that this issue of a, the lack of a body be uh, dealt with? Absolutely a priority issue. I did a lot of consultation in my community when I was running for parliament and indeed, as is the tradition of Indi, uh, there is a lot of community consultation happens about what are the issues that are important to people. And of course, there's a raft of local issues. And then on the national front, there were two key national issues that uh, people were very, very um, strong on. One was the establishment of an integrity commission at federal level to restore trust in politics, to to ensure that we have a, a robust democracy. And and the other one was uh, real, solid, good uh, evidence-based action on climate change. They were the two big national issues. So they've been the national issues that I've I've put my uh, focus yeah, on. And you, you and I have spoken about your climate change organising mm. efforts in the past. But I'm just really interested that, I mean, it's consistent with opinion polling that shows a, a super majority of Australians really do want this to happen. But is that in terms of your constituents, is it the trust issue through which this issue gets refracted, right? It's like... Yeah. It's totally about trust and it, and it's about leadership and it's about our capacity as a nation to move forward with new and solid ideas that we need to have trust in our parliamentarians. We need to be sure that when policy is made, when tenders are put out, that there's procedural fairness, uh, that our tax dollars are spent appropriately and that when someone comes forward with a good idea that we think, okay, well, they've looked at the evidence, they're taking a, a reasoned approach to this and uh, should it be something like infrastructure, we know that there will be due process. Mm. It's really important. Important, Catherine, and um, I think I, I just know it's so important to my constituents. Back in February, when uh, when I put forward my Beechworth principles, in short notice, I put the word out. Look, I'm going to have a bit of a town hall meeting in the uh, Beechworth courthouse. Didn't give people much notice, and I'm going to have David Harper, a retired appeals court judge, there um, turn up. 
Uh, we had so many people we couldn't fit them in the little Beechworth mm, courthouse. It was overflowing. It? People mm. really wanted to hear this. As I was preparing to present my two bills to Parliament on the 26th of October, I had a virtual town hall meeting and we got a couple of hundred people to that straight away too. And uh, Margaret White joined me on that, the Honourable Margaret White, former Supreme Court judge, first woman. People want to hear about this. Mm. And even more than that, Catherine, my, my electorate got an absolute beating in the um, bushfire season. Yes. And sitting with people at their lowest ebb in evacuation centres and we talk about the bushfires and what they've lost, talked about their situation and, and, and just when we're settling, sitting quietly, people would still say to me, Helen, don't let go of the integrity thing, will you? Mm. Keep fighting for it. Mm. It's, yeah. it's, it, it is really interesting how engaged people are. So so you've referenced obviously in this conversation that the government said it would do something, you waited, mm. and what is an obviously respectable length of time for the government to do something. Yeah. Now you've brought forward your own proposal. If listeners haven't caught up with the fact the government has also now tabled its own or, or brought forward a more detailed version of, of its own proposal on an anti-corruption body, which it's putting out to a six-month consultation. How does your proposal differ from the government's? Look, uh, there's a couple of fundamental differences. Firstly, it's the principle of common rules for all. So the government is proposing a two streams, uh, one stream for our law enforcement agencies and one stream for the rest of us, mm. for parliamentarians, staffers and uh, departmental staff. And the key difference there uh, is that there is the public hearing component in the law enforcement section so that uh, any police officer, let's say an Australian federal police officer, uh, was brought before the commission, then they could be heard in a public hearing, yes. um, whereby a parliamentarian or their staffer or anyone from a department cannot. No. That's that's a very, very important difference um, between the two. And uh, it's one that yesterday, in fact, the Australian Federal Police Association came out and criticised very, very strongly. Mm. The government model, too, says it has all the powers of a royal commission. Mm. Well, that is one of the powers of a royal commission. Mm. Um, to uh, hold public hearings. Exactly. Mm. So that that's a very fundamental difference. The other component of this is that uh, there is no pro-integrity framework in the government's bill, which I think is uh, extremely important. Mm -hmm. um, Explain what you mean by that. Well, well, I think there's a real difference between anti-corruption and pro-integrity. Mm -hmm. So we need to build a culture in this place that encourages us to do the right thing, not just police us in doing the wrong thing. Mm. So I've built into my bill assistant commissioners to uh, assist with this, a, a, an integrity commissioner uh, assistant role that is an advisory role and uh, has an inspector role that we can go to when we have key areas of concern. Um, I think that's really important. The other component of uh, of this that I think is super important is my bill has been built on consensus with other parliamentarians. Mm -hmm. I've worked really closely um, with uh, government backbenchers, uh, with the opposition, with the Greens, with my fellow crossbenchers. And we've talked about, uh, when I went to them, I said, what are the things that you're afraid of in an integrity commission? Mm -hmm. And for nearly every one of them, it was the idea of this star chamber, and it's what uh, yeah. it's what the attorney always refers to. We well, hear this very frequently among yeah. politicians, federal politicians who, yeah. have, who have watched anti-corruption bodies in the states, mm. uh, that they think you know they they act more like kangaroo courts than mm. than a place where procedural fairness is respected, etc. So yeah. obviously you've heard that message. What do yeah. you think? Are they valid? 
those well, concerns? I think, that, I think that's a legitimate human concern, that someone uh, would be dragged before a court in a public hearing, uh, be found to be completely innocent and have their reputation trashed forevermore, mm. or that there would be vexatious uh, referrals. Because, mm. again, that's a key difference between my bill and the attorney's bill. Under my bill, public referrals can be made with strong whistleblower protections. Mm-hmm. But under the attorney's bill, the only referrals that can be made can be from departmental heads themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, you know, a junior member of staff at, uh, in the infrastructure department who saw the problems in the Leppington Triangle mm. would not be able to make a referral. Uh, a real problem. A real, real problem. But in terms of this safeguard around public hearings, um, what I've designed into the bill, and it was from a really detailed conversation with a government backbencher who had really good knowledge of this, was that there would be really strong public interest safeguards there and an assistant commissioner with a research role to determine if, in fact, there was uh, systemic corruption happening here. If there was some real problems with a junior, let's say a junior staffer for a minister whose reputation could be ruined forevermore by association, that there would be a legitimate cause to put to the commissioner that that should be a private hearing. Yeah. The other part of it, and uh, it's it's a little clause, and it's actually not a little clause, it's kind of a big one, uh, is in response to a friend of mine who was uh, brought before the IBAC mm-hmm. uh, commission and was found to be completely innocent. Mm-hmm was never exonerated publicly. So when I spoke to him about this, he said, really, all I'd ever want was to clear my name. But ultimately, the only clearance I ever got was months and months later at about page 19 in a newspaper. So this this bill of mine has a statutory clause there that when the commissioner presents, and they must present a public report to the parliament within the next sitting period, that there's an opportunity for a supplementary report which completely exonerates an innocent person. Mm. So it is then on the record. Uh, in the parliament, yeah, and that, uh, that no charges were ever proceeded yeah. with, or no, there were no findings that's of right. corruption or yeah. whatever else. Yeah, Just, so I think that's yeah. really important, Catherine. Mm-hmm. That uh, and again, it's a remedy to that common fear that uh, MPs have. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, I'm, I'm aware that you've had discussions uh, with people across the parliament, uh, and you, and you mentioned that a minute ago, including a discussion with a government um, MP. So your bill is obviously there. It's It's been introduced uh, into the parliament. Obviously, though, to ever get it brought on, you require support from certainly the opposition, your crossbench colleagues and, and possibly members of the government as well. What are the prospects of that, do you yeah, think? Yeah, look, um, actually, before I even answer that, I, the other thing I just wanted to point mm, out sure. um, in terms of the differences between uh, the model I've put forward and, mm-hmm. and the one the government's put forward is around the definition, a broad definition of corruption. So under the attorney's bill, it would only be, there would only be investigations when there was suspicion of criminal activity. Yes. So broader based corruption, things like the sports rorts, Leppington Triangle. Yeah, wouldn't meet the threshold. No, yeah. we'd never, they'd never be investigated. We'd yeah. never find out. Uh, so I think that's a super important part. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is. And you're, and you're right to yeah, mention yeah. it. Um, but uh, me and this bill, look, what we've seen with the government bill that was uh, brought forward just a week ago is 
a bill that already has been roundly criticised by key groups who were participating in that first round of discussions two years ago Mm. and not one of their concerns was taken up in this next iteration. Uh, So I'm not going to take my foot off the accelerator uh, in terms of really arguing that we, if we're going to have an integrity commission, it's got to be the right one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, I know you're not, but but what are are the prospects of building a parliamentary coalition to get this this done? Yes, I'm working every day to build a coalition. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing what I did at the beginning. I'm continuing to talk to people. I'm helping them to understand the differences between the two bills. I'm uh, talking to them about uh, how I will contribute to the attorney's consultation process because he's put that in place uh, and how they can do that as well about how we can actually really use my bill as the yardstick. Mm. And the best way to do that is to actually debate it. My bill is fully costed. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's been fleshed out in its entirety. It's already sitting here in the parliament. Um, The best way for us to really have a good look at my bill uh, is to have a parliamentary debate. Mm. I mean, there are other mechanisms too, of course. We can take a committee inquiry. There are other ways to investigate it as well. But a debate is the strongest thing. Absolutely. But is your your bill going to go to a committee to to have it examined? Not at this stage. Right. Not at this stage. But all of those um, parliamentary options are there for me. Mm Uh, The key thing here, though, is for my colleagues in this House to understand that what it actually takes to have an integrity commission that will solve the problem that we have. And right now, uh, the government's bill will not do that. So I've absolutely got the support of my crossbench colleagues and the Labor Party to bring on debate. Um, It's a pretty narrow margin that the government holds at the moment. It, It would only take a couple of members to say, yeah, let's... Let's have the debate um, and then we can judge it. We can decide if we want to vote on it or not, um, but let's have the debate and really explore it. Is it frustrating to you because obviously uh, the Attorney-General set down this six-month consultation time frame, right? Uh, but I did ask him at the press conference where he unveiled this proposal whether or not he intended to take on board any of the results of the consultations. Mm. And the answer was, I mean, basically no. In terms of that build of building that parliamentary coalition, because you've had a couple of well, you've had Lou O'Brien, I think, come out and mm. basically all but endorse it. I think mm. Mm. it's like a game of chess, isn't it? And the government's kind of put you in a well, I don't know. I'm not a chess person. Is it checkmate? I'm looking for in, in the sense that they've brought forward their bill, they've started a clock on their own bill, six months worth of consultation. Does that make it more difficult then for any government MP who might be contemplating crossing the floor to bring on a debate about a better bill? It's sort of like, oh, God, can you do that while your government's running a six-month consultation period on their own proposal? Does that... Does that frustrate you? No, it doesn't. It's exactly what I expected. (laughs) Um, I I think the thing that's really exciting about being a member of the crossbench is that you have the capacity to talk with everyone and to ultimately work with whoever is willing to work to get the best outcome. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm after at the end of the day. I mean, I I don't care if it's the Helen Haynes bill or if it's the, you know, if it's the government bill, so long as it has those five principles that I'm looking for and that I know every expert in the country is looking for Mm -hmm. and that I know that the general public are looking for, then I don't mind. If we do that through debating my bill, in the House, great. If we do that through a robust consultation process that the attorney set up and he indeed changes his bill, terrific. I've got what I wanted. Um, I've got what I went and asked him for uh, 18 months ago. But what I do know is that I've had real influence thus far. The attorney's bill was nowhere in sight until I introduced the Australian Federal Integrity Commission 
Bill 2020 uh, on the 26th of October, and exactly one week later, mm, um, that would out, be yeah, mm. out, out came the, the bill. Uh, so I've got plenty of time, Catherine, to mm. keep working with my colleagues, and likewise, you know. Parliament, as you you've been here a long time, mm, too there's long, a, probably. <laughs> there's there's <laughs> opportunities <laughs> for um, government members to have their own conversations with the attorney about uh, how we could how we could run this process. Yes, and and are you hopeful they might do? I'm that? hopeful. Yeah, right, I'm right. hopeful. Right, uh, and I'm also uh, very determined that we get the bill that the nation needs. Yes. Uh, what about now? Of course, uh, you will have watched the Four Corners program at the the start of the week, um, which mm. was a, an investigation. Uh, you know, let's call this in general terms uh, a look at culture around the building. What did you think of that program? Oh, look, you know, I was dismayed. Um, by that program. Uh, I think anybody watching it would be. Every moment we watch a program like that or every moment I go to question time and uh, issues such as that are discussed is is a moment when we're not discussing the things that really matter to people like, you know, getting through this COVID pandemic, like recovering from a bushfire, like introducing a Federal Integrity Commission. You know, it's uh, it's such a waste of our time that we are still in that place, uh, that we're still operating in an environment that feels like an episode from Mad Men and, and not like the Parliament of Australia. So, yeah, I was dismayed by that. And obviously you're um, newish, well, new in a, in a federal political scene, right? You're still... I don't know how long has it been since the election. It feels like 2020 has been a decade, so it's yeah. hard to know really. But yeah, it's about 18 months. About 18 months, yeah. I reckon, right? Yeah. So you've uh, you've had time to establish yourself in the place and get a bit of a sense of the culture and mm. how things operate. Mm. What What's your own perceptions of how this place runs? Yeah, look, look, it's a strange workplace, that's for sure. It's, it is pretty blokey. There's plenty of kind of backslapping and g'day mates that that goes on. I, as a, a woman attending a meeting, there's times when I go to a meeting and I have my uh, have a male advisor with me, and and the person I'm meeting with will talk to the advisor and will look at the advisor and not look at me. Um, you know that that's that's you know still happening in 2020, and there'll be women nodding all over the you know whoever's listening to this podcast going yeah that, that's happened to yeah, me too. Well, everyone knows that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's everyone right. has experienced that. Yeah, I say. yeah, of course. Mm. Um, mm. But I I think for me as an independent and as as a woman with 40 years work experience before I came here, I'm pretty occupied in my own world of being a community-based regional independent mm. and I'm not part of yes. uh, some of the – because there's subcultures within the overall culture, of course. There's a, there's a subculture in ministerial wings. Mm. Um, you know, there's very many layers to this. Mm. Uh, so there's many things that I, I don't personally see, but by golly, I'm aware of, of course, because, uh, you know, you just – blind if, if you're not aware of it. Mm. But, you know, and, and then there's many structural things that happen here. This is a workplace that kind of bleeds into the night. In a normal workplace, you wouldn't have people still operating together as a group at 7.30, 8.30, 9.30, 10 o'clock and then going out for a drink several nights a week, really. It might happen once at the Christmas party. Yes. Um, so it is, a, it is a different workplace to one that I've ever been in before. Mm. And I've, I've been in plenty, plenty of hierarchical workplaces before. Yeah, But there sure. is a different vibe here for sure. Yeah, Okay. You've got some ideas about how we might put a bit more structure around this bleeding, for want of a better mm, term, mm. Um, and how you made the point before with your integrity commission bill that it's basically about a culture of integrity rather than a policing yeah. culture. So what are your thoughts about how some of those issues that were ventilated on the program might get addressed? Mm. 
Well, I think the first thing to say is one of the one of the real shocks when I came here it was that there's no there's no statutory code of conduct for a member of parliament. Um, you know, if you're a member of the medical profession or legal profession or just about any other professional group in in the nation, there's a code of conduct that you sign on to. There is no such thing here. Uh, it's kind of assumed that you'll know what to do, mm. how to be, um, mm. that you'll you'll arrive with a, a strong uh, set of principles and ethics uh, and I have no doubt that most people do arrive with, with those clear in their mind. But there is no statutory obligation around that. Uh, so the sister bill that I introduced with my Integrity Commission bill was to, to establish essentially a code of conduct and a commissioner to oversee that and to assist members of parliament to abide by that. And when they have questions or uncertainties around uh, perhaps how things are, are operating in their own office, that there would be someone that they could go to. And likewise, if a, a junior member of staff or or indeed a parliamentarian themselves who felt bullied or, or sexually harassed or whatever it might be, uh, could in fact ask for an investigation. And so what, uh, I'll get to that in a sec, that there are some actual procedures that don't exist now, mm. right? Like one of the, as you point out, I mean, one of the great deficiencies is who the hell people, to complain, people yeah. complain to when yeah. things go wrong and, you know, if people don't really understand the way the place works, obviously the major parties resolve, call them HR complaints for want of a better construction mm-hmm. in, internally. They work them through offices and then manage them up to leaders' offices in the event mm-hmm. that it's bad, but you can think about all of the conflicts and difficulties associated with making a complaint to somebody about somebody to whom you work <laughs> to the person you work for. It's it's obviously really, really difficult. So what does your code do? What sort of strictures does it set down in terms of conduct? And then how are those, just take that example that I just extemporised about, mm. like somebody who wants to make a complaint, how would that work? Yeah, look, the first thing to say is there. I think um, we can't legislate away uh, in every shape or form bad behaviour. Mm. I don't think there is a mechanism to legislate that away, but I think we need to set some standards and people are measured against those. Right now, there is no yardstick by which people are held to account. Of course, we have uh, the Prime Minister has a ministerial code of conduct, but what we don't ever see is uh, how that actually transpires when someone breaches it. We haven't had this parliament Well, well the other thing that. too, I mean, I don't want to cut you off, Helen, uh, mm. but, uh, but the other, like Bridget McKenzie, uh, the minister involved in the Sports rorts mm. imbroglio mm. Uh, did resign for a code of conduct issue, but a couple of colleagues whose other sorts of behaviour ventilated, no sanctions. That's and right. and it seems to me I've been, as you say, been here a long time, too long. I said and feel <laughs> this disagree. week. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, but it's a sort of it's a code that is a sort of expression of the will of the prime minister of the day, mm. and its enforcement is. Arbitrary. That's right. Which again brings the question to my mind. If we're talking about leadership and we're talking about civic conduct uh, and we're talking about a nation who looks up to their leaders uh, for goodness knows, maybe even inspiration then we need something much, much more transparent, I reckon. Mm. Uh, and, I, and I think the, the Sports Rorts Affair is a really good example. In the end, um, Minister 
Mackenzie, um, minister at the time, um, she was struck out on a technicality mm. under the Code of Conduct. Yeah. Um, so, in fact, we never saw any investigation beyond the ANAO work and then the PMC yeah. um, doing their own internal investigation. Yeah. We never really saw the light of day of what went on there and who else may have been involved and if, in fact, there was a, a systemic thread of corruption going on that may have engaged many other people. Mm. In the end, uh, one scalp went um, mm. on what most people would say was, you know, Aside didn't issue. declare... Mm. A conflict of interest on on membership of of a sporting shooters club. Mm. I yeah. reckon we could do a whole lot better than that. And and how how Helen? How do we do? Well, better? firstly, by having a code of conduct and a commissioner to oversee it. There is someone who is independent to this place, uh, who is not the Prime Minister, uh, who's not a senior minister, who can investigate that, so uh, that they can have a good look at that and say, well, does this breach? a code of conduct, who, who do I need to speak to and undertake a thorough investigation with the opportunity, all the safeguards uh, that you would expect for the person who the complaint was potentially made about could come before the commissioner and give their side of the story and so on and the recommendation being made, which would then be tabled. Right. Yeah. And the commissioner would be funded by the government That's but, right. but sit outside like a, like any sort of bureaucratic that's right. Um, appointed, like, appointed by the presiding officers. Yeah, yeah, right. and, yeah. and overseen by the presiding yeah, officers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So again, in the model that I put uh, on the twenty sixth of October, those two sister bills. I think it's important even to think of them as sister yeah. bills. Actually, yeah. um, it's fully costed by by the parliamentary budget office. Uh, and this is something we could do. In fact, the total costing on mine is more expensive than the than the government bill. But uh, we get a bill that actually does its job, or we get two bills that do their job. Actually, mm-hmm. I think it's important. Just getting back to culture and the place, and mm. and it should be clear, I think, to listeners, given the issues we've traversed over the last half an hour or so, that we're looking at a whole range of integrity questions uh, mm. that that go beyond how women fare in public life and how women fare in this building, right? There's a whole agenda here that's much, much bigger than whether politics remains a hostile environment for humans and a hostile environment for women. But I'm interested now that you've been in the place for 18 months, whether if one of your daughters or a young woman who you know came to you and said, Helen, I not so much I want to be a representative because that's a different set of conditions or a different set of challenges, but I want to be a staffer in either for your independent movement or for work for a major party. I want to come and work in Parliament House. That's my idea of the dream job. What would you say to them? I would say that they should certainly do that, Um, but they should surround themselves with some good information. They should ask some key questions of that office. Uh, They should talk to other young women, perhaps, if this is a young woman, uh, in the office where they're going for that job. And they should ask a direct question at the interview, I think, around code of conduct and uh, come in with your eyes open. But I would not in any way want to dissuade a young woman from uh, working in the political sphere. I think that is part of the problem. Um, You know, we need so many more women here. Uh, You know, if we outnumbered the blokes, we just wouldn't see the level of, I mean, just by virtue of sheer logic, uh, we wouldn't see the level of backslapping 
really. Or uh, butt slapping, <laughs> more to the point. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. No one's pinched you on the bum, I hope. No, no, but this is one of the lovely things of being a woman of a certain age, Catherine. <laughs> uh, in fact, uh, you know, I, you know, I think it, it's, uh, it's a great advantage. I love it. I we're, love it. And we're... it also means that, you know, I, I feel quite... Uh, quite able to see and comment. I think that's really important. So again, you know, there's a role for all of us to play in creating the place that we want to work in and that we would want other women to work in as well. And I, and I feel a real responsibility for that. It's why I've done the hard yards. Uh, in the absence of the government doing that work, I've, I've done the hard yards myself and my predecessor did too. And there's other members of this house, many of them, uh, who are right behind me on this. And uh, I, again, I think we have to create the culture that we want to see. Mm, that's a lovely note to end on, Helen. Thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Thank you to Miles uh, Martignoni, who's the executive producer of this show. We'll be back next week. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 